The message you're listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2018 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. My name is Luke Rickstraw. Uh, I hate these mics because I move my hand a lot when I talk, and so I'll be doing this a lot. I'll be going in and out, and I hate it, but it's what we got to work with. So uh, it's me and uh, one of my friends, Morgan Hughes. We're going to kind of be tag teaming this. Uh, we both work at the University of Kentucky. Uh, I've been on staff for six years there, and Morgan's been on staff for four years. Um, and we're going to talk to you today. Uh, can everyone hear me okay? Is it good? Okay. Um, on how to follow Jesus in today's world. And it's going to be a little different than the, your other seminars you go to or even the sessions because a lot of the other sessions mostly focus on following Jesus because we are at a Christian conference, of course, and so what else are you going to talk about? But in this session, we're going to talk about more about today's world and, and why understanding the world, understanding our culture is really important because if you miss our world and you miss our culture, it's actually going to make following Jesus a lot harder than it has to be. And so here is our... Uh, yes, that's that's me and Morgan and my wife. Uh, awkwardly put in there. Uh, but there's there's our email addresses. If I say something or Morgan says something that you really want to know more about, or you have a question, or even want to kind of start a discussion, that's on there. Um, we didn't know how big our room this is going to be, so I'm going to give 15 minutes, and then Morgan's going to do 15 minutes, and so you can text that number if you have any questions, and if we have time at the end, we're Come back up and I room the size. If y'all have questions, you might just want to shout them out and we can try to answer as best as possible. So, uh, either way is good with me. So, why are we doing a session focusing more on the world and not mostly on following Jesus? Well, David Foster Wallace is a famous author, uh, he's written novels, he's really famous for his essays. But he gave a speech back in 2005 at graduation at, at Kenyon College. And here's what he said in his commencement speech, and it's just really important. Uh, he's not a Christian, but he, he makes a lot of really good points. And he starts out of that speech by saying this. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods to them and says, Morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, What is water? So the point of that story is a lot of us kind of go through life without realizing what's around us. And most of the Christians I'm around really want to follow Christ. They really want to learn what it means to have a relationship with God, um, how to fight sin, how to read their Bible, how to pray. Um, but a lot of times they're like these two young fish. Um, someone asks you, how's the water? And you don't even know what the water is. Um, and knowing what your water is, knowing what your culture is, is extremely important because your culture is going to be influencing you almost more than that. And so an example of this could be a lot of times when I'm meeting with students or even in my own life, there's these problems that come up. Either someone has broken up with somebody, uh, someone might be struggling with anxiety or depression, which is really prevalent on the college campus. Someone's struggling with busyness, they can't, just, they can't say no, and so they're overcommitted. Um, and these problems come up and they want to stop, they want to try to figure out how can I fight these things that are going on in my life. Um, and they're trying to apply scripture, trying to do all these things, and they just can't stop. They can't figure out why is this struggle still going on? Why can't I fix this? And I would say a lot of times it's because of the, this is water principle. Um, you're not understanding your culture. You're not understanding how the world is shaping you. And so you're trying to fix it, but you're not getting underneath the surface enough to really get into what's really the problem. Does that make sense? And so when we're talking about following Jesus in the world, I'm going to talk about more of the root problem 
um, what, what makes it really hard at a root level to follow Jesus in this world. And then Morgan's going to come and talk about more of the fruits, which is on your on your uh, handout. Um, what are some what are some of the applications or what are the things that she's seeing more on the surface that makes it hard to follow Jesus? So, all right. So, First um, Corinthians six eighteen through twenty is just kind of going to be our uh, principal scripture uh, for this, this seminar. Uh, we're not going to use it like to dissect or anything like that, but we're just going to try to see what Paul does here to show some principles. And so if you have your Bible, it's up on the screen, very blurry. So, 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, Paul says this. He says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you've been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And so we're jumping right into 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is really helpful for us to see because the Corinthian church was the most like the Western church today. It was very prosperous, very rich, um, tons of activity going on, major cities, major marketplaces, things like that. And one of their major issues in Corinth, and if you read 1 Corinthians, if you ever feel bad about your life, just read 1 Corinthians and breathe out because there's tons of stuff going on in 1 Corinthians that is just crazy. But one of the major problems was, was sexual morality, which we kind of see today. But what's interesting about this passage it keeps getting blurred here. <laughs> That's better. Put it on an angle. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> Maybe a little more. <laughs> Great. All right. That's One of the interesting about this passage is you get the typical uh, flee from sexual morality. You get the commandment, which you kind of uh, anticipate with within Christianity. But then what he goes in 19 is what me and Morgan are really going to focus on. Um, he, he asked them a question about what they know, and then he says this, what DA just hit on in the session this morning. He says, you are not your own, for you're bought with a price, so now glorify God in your body. So he says flee from sexual morality, but then he gets into these hard underneath issues, these undercurrents of what's going on. The reason they're struggling with sexual morality is not just because they have no self-control. It's because something at a heart level has gone wrong. They're believing something about the world, about their culture, that has now influenced them to not glorify God in the body, but kind of do whatever they want to do. Does that make sense? And so what we're going to do is, like I said, I'm going to do the roots, the roots of our world, kind of what's going on underneath the surface. If you think about the ocean, um, if you get out in the ocean too far, you can get into an undercurrent and it can take you away. Um, even though you do not see those on the surface, that undercurrent can be really powerful. Um, so I'm going to be kind of talking about the undercurrent. And then Morgan's going to be talking about the fruits, like I said, of what this actually looks like played out in your, in your day. So roots and fruits. Um, yeah, so you have your sheet, this, this diagram. And so what this looks like, like I said, someone comes to me and says they're really struggling. I'm just so busy. Everyone in, this, in our culture is, is so busy all the time. If you ask someone how they're doing, they're going to say they're busy. That's going to be up here uh, in, the, in, the, in the branches area. That is an issue, but that's not what's going on underneath the surface. There's something going on at the root and in, in today that's actually influencing that busy, busyness. The reason you're so busy is not just because you can't say no. Our world has been influencing that. And so the, at the root of every issue is self. Uh, DA has done a great job this morning describing the, the issue of sin and kind of explaining that. Um, sin at its nature is just self. It's self-worship. It's self-focus. It's when we deny who God is and what he has done for us, and choose to kind of go our own way. And so that's at the root of every issue, every culture throughout history. He, he mentioned this morning about Adam and Eve. The primary sin, of course, is not eating fruit. 
Um, eating fruit was a big deal because they ended up choosing themselves over God. They chose what they wanted to do over what God prohibited. That was the major issue behind the fruit. It wasn't that the fruit was a big deal. It was that they chose that over what God intended it for. So that's the root of every culture, but self manifests itself in different ways in different cultures. And what we have in, in the Western world where you are in America is what's called a secular culture. And that, that word is secular age. You might have heard that before. Um, I don't, don't think of that as like spiritual versus secular. Secular age is a guy named Charles Taylor who's a philosopher in Canada. He can't coined that term. But what that means is in America, in the Western world today, there is just, there's really no need for God. And so it doesn't mean that, there, that people are really anti-God. What we see in our culture is not necessarily that God's not dead. Uh, movies where the professor is really antagonistic. Um, against Christianity. We see that in a little bit, but the, the more dangerous thing in our age is that people just don't have a need for God. Um, we can kind of get up, kind of do our own thing. We can get food on our own. We can call whoever we want to. We have money that we can access, and there's just no need for a dependence on anything higher than ourselves. That's what Charles Taylor says, and that's really unique to the culture we live in. Pretty much since the Enlightenment in the 1800s, we've been drifting towards that. And so this undercurrent of self is really, really strong now. Um, and and you, need, you need to realize that because what you're up against is different than what it's been in the past. So self has always been a problem, but our culture emphasizes self more than any other culture in the history of the world. And I, there's three streams, I think, that are really important for us to understand. Um, and none of these are bad in and of themselves, but our culture makes them really hard to follow Christ. So here's those three streams. So you have freedom, the question of whose are you? You have the question of identity, which is huge in our culture, that DA hit on, of who are you? You have the question of purpose. What are you for? And so everyone has answers to those, even if you don't know them or not. Um, you have answers to those based on the culture and the world that you live in. Usually, the world defines those for you. Um, and so I, I just want to go through those really quickly and show how that is shaping you and, and how it makes it hard to follow Christ in those. So the roots. So you notice the first thing Paul goes to when he says flee sexual morality, he then says you are not your own. Um, that he's talking, he's getting to their freedom. He's realizing that they, something has gone wrong with their idea of freedom. So the, the way that we answer this in our world, the whose are you question, how, how most Americans answer that, Christian or non-Christian, is they would say I'm nobody's. I'm, I'm my own person. I have my own rights. Um, you kind of see these in slogans like no one can judge me. No one can tell me what to do. I kind of get to do whatever is best for me. Have you all heard those before or maybe said those before? So we, we need to know that that's a new definition of freedom. Um, and that definition of freedom is it's more freedom from any restraints instead of freedom to get to do something good for other people. Does that make sense? And so the new definition of freedom is now to be truly free in this world, you need to be free from all restraints, all responsibilities, all complications. Um, because we answer that question, who's are, are you, with I'm, I'm just me, I'm myself, we try to get away from, from everything else. Um, a popular example of this, especially around the Christmas season, um, I was watching this and just thought it was hilarious. Uh, as the next, yes, sorry. Yeah, so Home Alone. Most of y'all seen Home Alone? Yeah, okay. Uh, so you got Kevin McAllister, big, big uh, point of tension at the very, beginning of the movie plot going on. Uh, Kevin McAllister is acting crazy. He's kind of being a jerk at some point, but his family is too, and they have his uncle that's ridiculous and, and all that's going on. And so he wishes they never had a family. 
And he has that famous scene where he's jumping up and down screaming, uh, when I get older, I'm living alone. I'm living alone. And that's the definition of freedom that we have today, that this, I don't want any other outside responsibilities. When I, when I get to finally be free, I'm getting away from all this. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. And then he gets to experience that freedom the next day when he wakes up and realizes they're all gone and he goes crazy. He has this huge party, he jumps in the bed, and then he says, I'm eating junk, I'm watching rubbish, you better come out and stop me. But he is living the dream as an eight-year-old of getting to do whatever he wants. Um, but that's not that far divorced from how we try to think of freedom today. Um, although it's ridiculous for him to think that watching a PD-13 movie, eating ice cream, and jumping out of bed is true freedom, we can kind of do the same things. We think that true freedom is is just doing whatever we want to do. Um, and so, if you can go back a slide. What Paul is saying here is that people in Corinth, you've exchanged belonging, which is the real biblical definition of freedom, for self-sovereignty, meaning that you rule yourself. And so, he's trying to tell them, hey, you think you're on your own, but you're really not. Like the DA says this morning, you've been bought with a price. Um, you belong to God. And that the true definition of freedom is belonging to something greater than yourself that's actually going to set you free, not enslaved anymore. Because in Home Alone, we find out that as he eats junk food, as he goes crazy, it gets really old really quickly. And I think we've seen that in our own lives. Um, this freedom narrative that America is living out is getting older and um, at, by the minute. And we, if, if, if we're being honest, we really feel enslaved to our freedoms. Okay, so that's freedom. That's our first big thing that we're swimming up against, that... The new definition of freedom is you're free from all responsibilities. You're free from everything beside yourself, which makes Christ's call on our life really hard. That, that's why it's really hard to obey some of his commandments. Because who is Jesus to tell me what to do? Who, are you, who is my church community or my friends to tell me what to do? That, that new definition of freedom can make it really hard. Second, second uh, cultural strain that makes it really hard is identity. Um, this might be the biggest one outside of freedom. Um, the question of who are you is something that we're all asking. Um, and Paul gets into that too. He says, you're not your own, and then he gets into the, the piece where he says, for your body with a price. And so in today's world, we have exchanged identity from being from, from receiving, like he's saying, that you've been bought with a price, you've received a new identity because of what Christ has done, and we've exchanged that for an identity that has to be achieved. And we usually achieve it through two ways. We do have to achieve it through our duties. So you have to do a lot of things in order to be a certain type of person. And so you feel like I have to get, if, if I have to get a 4.0 to be a, a good son, good daughter, good student, good Christian. Um, I have to perform this well, this, this way on the playing sports. I have to be in this relationship. I have to do something for somebody in order to be who I truly am. So that's one way we do this. Another way we try to achieve this is through our desires, and this is the one that they're they're that sociologists are really worried about. Um, that because we feel like we are nobodies but our own, then our identity, who are you, um, just from um, playing that out is that you're no one. And so when you are no one, then you have to create your own identity. And that when you have to create your own identity, it puts a ton of pressure on who you are. So you're no longer given who you are, you have to then create it through duties or desires. Um, and, it, and honestly, that is what's creating most of the anxiety that's going on in college campus is when, I, when you have to create who you are, it puts an enormous amount of pressure. It's one thing to get an A in a class. It's another thing to have to base your entire work on what that A is. Does that make sense? One is a good thing to try to get an A. One is soul pressure. And so that's what we're kind of seeing. 
Best example of this, I've used this a lot, so if you've heard this before, forgive me. Best example of this is Taylor Swift. Um, you see this all over culture, and so if you start looking for it, like um, if, any fans of, if any of you are fans of Frozen in here, Frozen is a lot about this new identity. Um, the, the whole find, your, find yourself motif that is in the Reese Witherspoon movie where she goes out west and, and does the whole specific trail, specific trail. Um, this find yourself is, is what we're talking about. So Taylor Swift came out with a music video that at the time was the most viewed of all time called Out of the Woods. Has anyone seen it? Okay. Um, so, everyone know Taylor Swift? Alright, we're good. Alright. Taylor Swift, at the beginning of that video, it starts out with she lost him, she lost her boyfriend, and kind of shows her on one side of the beach, kind of looking off into the ocean. Okay. So the whole music video then, after she lost him, all this stuff kind of starts growing up behind the scenes with her. Um, so you have this forest, you have this lava, you have this mountains, she has to kind of get to this obstacle course to get to the other side of the island. And the whole song is about her trying to get out of the woods that she's kind of created for herself. So she gets through to the other side, gets through all the different obstacles, and she, and she gets to the other side and there's this person standing there. And when she gets to the end of the video, she taps on that person's shoulders and turns around, and lo and behold, it's Taylor Swift on the other side. And says she lost him, but found herself, and somehow that was everything. And that is the new identity that we're all living in. That that video is four or five years old, um, but that is what sociologists call expressive individualism. That's the idea that we no longer have an identity that's given to us, so we then have to look inside our hearts, we have to find who we truly are, and then we have to express that out. And and whatever you express in your heart, that's who you truly are. And so that, that gets into all kinds of different things that you all can kind of play off with, with, with gender and so many different things. But the new identity is now you go inside yourself, try to figure out who you are, and, and then that's who you, who you truly are. And you might be thinking, what, what's so wrong with that? Well, the, the, the big issue with that is it's so fragile. Your desires are so fickle, they're, they're changing so much. Even Taylor Swift's new album was all about her reputation because her reputation has kind of been taken through the woods, um, for lack of a better term. And she's so worried about her reputation now. Uh, and I, I'm, I actually like Taylor Swift. I think she's really good at understanding our culture. But she's so worried about her reputation. And she's so worried in one, song, one of our most more famous songs about what this new guy thinks. And that's what this, this idea doesn't tell you. It looks so good when it says, go find yourself. But then what, what happens if you find yourself and you don't like yourself? Or what happens when you find yourself and you don't really know if that's your, your true self? So you get this constant roller coaster in identity. So that, that's the second one. That we have, um, we've exchanged belovedness. That's what the Bible calls our identity. If you go back one, yeah, we've exchanged belovedness for self-expression. The Bible says that we are beloved in Christ. That when He, when Christ came for us, now we are like Christ. And so when God looks at us, He looks at you as a son or daughter of His. But we've exchanged that given identity of being beloved, of being loved for who we are, more on a self-expressed identity where we have to create our identity out of our performance or out of our desires or what we think we should do. So that, that's, that's two streams that's really hard in our culture. And the third big undercurrent is purpose. And, and purpose is just a question, what are you for? Um, and I, I think everyone, again, has an answer to that question, maybe not explicitly, but you all live, you, everyone lives for some purpose. And Paul gets to that at the end of that when he says, so glorify God in your body. He's saying, this is what your purpose you're, you're meant for. 
But in today's world, we have rejected that purpose, especially in our culture, and we've exchanged the, the giving purpose for self, for, for having. Um, Paul is saying that the whole point of this passage, the whole point of fleeing sexual immorality is because you're meant to give. And the point, what they were doing is they were taking advantage of each other. They were using each other for their own gain. They weren't giving themselves to each other. And they definitely weren't giving themselves to God and glorifying God in their bodies. And so today's world flips upside down. We were meant to give. Um, I'm sure a lot of you put that around Christmas time. But we were meant to, to, to give to others, not just gifts and things like that, but our, our lives. But our Western culture and our secular age has turned that into we must have. And so the, the, the way you get happiness in our culture is this, if I just have blank, then I'd be happy. And we all have something we fill in that, that, that gap with. If I just had a, a future spouse that I knew, then I'd be happy. There's a whole singleness talk on that. Um, if I just had this GPA or, or my career figured out, or if I, if I just had this right group of friends, or a really big one in our culture, if I just had my parents' approval, then I'd be really happy. Um, we all have that. We, we desperately want to have, have, pay, pay. And it, it comes out of, if you follow this, it, it comes right out of this line of thinking. If, if whose are you with the freedom piece, if you are nobody's, then who are you, your identity, you're no one, then what are you for? You're not really for anything, and so then when you're not for anything, you have to feel it constantly, which is why our culture so struggles with emptiness. We feel so empty because we don't have a purpose, and so we've been, we've been kind of told that your purpose is just accumulate a bunch of stuff, accumulate wealth, accumulate grades, accumulate relationships, just gather, 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 all the way down to accumulate likes on social media, and we just have to fill and fill and fill to try to fill in the emptiness from the other two. Does that make sense? And that's one of the biggest things that people are starting to see, Christians and non-Christians, is with this secular age that we're living in, with this culture, it's just very, very empty. And that's one of the best ways that the gospel is going forward in our age is it's speaking to the emptiness. Most testimonies you'll hear is because I thought I had this going on and I lost it and something happened to that and the Lord stripped that away from me and I saw my need for him. But they didn't see their need for him until they lost something that was really precious to them. And it's because the emptiness of our age is there. This is summed up best. So what I would say here is we've exchanged blessing for self-fulfillment. We were meant to be blessed. Genesis 1 says you're made in the image of God, and then God blessed them and sent them out. Blessing is when God pours his love and favor out to you, and that blessing was meant to go through you to other people. So you weren't meant to just hold that on yourself like David was saying, you're supposed to take that out to others. This, this idea of having that we have so, so done in um, our culture, John D. Rockefeller, this is not John D. Rockefeller, obviously. Um, John D. Rockefeller was once the world's, uh, world's richest person multi-billionaire, uh, a lot of the stuff from our country is built on him, but they once asked him how much money is enough money, and he said one more dollar. And that was kind of his response. Um, even as a billionaire, he, he said, I, I need one more. It was not enough, and that's what our culture does. And that's really hard when the Christian gospel comes forth and says that you must suffer for Christ's sake. When Christ says that you have to deny yourself, you don't express yourself, you deny yourself, you have to give up everything and follow Christ. This, this undercurrent of our world can make it really hard to, to fall across. So, I'm, I'm going to skip here. Yeah. So that's kind of the roots. That's kind of the under, that might have been um, kind of really vague, um, really up in the air because of how, how much some of that stuff's unseen. But now more, that's why Morgan's going to come and kind of clean all that up and show how that's, that's really affecting you all on the college team. So welcome to Morgan.
watch movies in here? What do y'all do? <laughs> yeah, just be quiet, I guess. Um, okay, well, as Luke said, um, he did a really good job going over the roots of our culture. Um, and so now I'm going to kind of talk about how they're going to manifest themselves, like how you're actually going to see them. So for just a second, like, let's pretend that we're all gardeners. We have this really awesome garden. Um, it's your job to tend to it and keep it. Well, how do you know that your garden has weeds? Yeah, it's sealed. Um, so, say you go outside to your garden every single day. Um, it's Monday. You don't see any weeds. It's Tuesday. You don't see any weeds. It's Wednesday. Oh my gosh, you see weeds. Well, when did that weed get there? Like, did it just get there on Wednesday when you saw it, or was it already there before? Yeah, it was already there. Okay, thank you all for talking. Yes, we can do this. Um, so, yeah, it was already there before. It's just finally showing itself out of the soil. Um, and so this is kind of what we're going to talk about um, right now. And this might feel a little information heavy. Don't feel the need to like write all this down and interpret all of it. Um, I just want to show you some things in culture that are really manifesting themselves. Um, and it's not going to be super clear like, oh, freedom is your idol and it's manifesting itself this way. You're going to really have to pray and ask the Lord to search and know your heart. Um, I wish I could give you a many plus equal C, but it's just not that simple. Um, and so the first thing that I'm seeing on campus is that we are now in a culture that is always learning. Um, Amy Bird is a really talented writer, um, and she talks about in today's culture, um, everyone is learning all the time. We learn and we have conversations. We learn while we are skimming social media, and we even learn when we are standing in the grocery store checkout line. Unfortunately, we are not always exposing ourselves to good teaching. And I think this is even more prevalent on the college campus. Um, you're learning in your classroom. You're learning then when you go to the library and you study. Um, you're learning new social things when you go back to your house or your dorm or your sorority or fraternity place. Um, you're learning how your friends are doing, who they like, um, how their day was. Um, you're learning life skills by being recently out of the home with your parents. You're learning how to pay bills on time and how to budget and um, what new jacket is cool. Um, you're learning um, how to take care of yourself. Every time you log on to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, you're learning something there. Um, and I could go on and on with this. We're learning all the time. Even when you want to learn good things, say I want to go to the Gospel Coalition and figure out something on a certain subject, I'll log on and there's immediately 12 articles that are in front of me. And so before I even think about what I want to learn, I, I, I have to read what they think I should learn. And so then I've already read three articles and I don't even remember what I went there for. Um, and so we unwisely rely on this information to make us successful, knowledgeable, in the know, um, but this um, is actually a downfall when we're always learning. Nothing really sticks. Um, we aren't developing convictions on things. We don't give we don't give things time to sit with us. Um, and so then, when someone asks me what my opinion is on something, I just regurgitate what I've learned. I don't. I haven't even processed it for myself. Um, and so, me and one of my friends, we just went to Colorado. <laughs> supposed to go there but that's another story um and we freaked out on the drive because the tumbleweed blew across the road um we've just never seen one in our life um but 
this this tumbleweed, it was kind of big, but it was like really skinny and literally just wherever the wind blew, it went. Um, and I think this is us without our conviction, without roots in something. Whatever culture tells us, we just kind of blow along with it until we're blown in another direction. Um, and so some application questions just to be asking yourself. Um, when was the last time you wrestled with something in scripture, something that you read that confronted you and you needed to dive deep, more deeply into it? Um, what concepts from scripture do you have firm biblical convictions on? Um, and in what ways are you just going along with the culture and just kind of being blown around the wind? Um, so that's number one. Number two is that um, we live in a culture now that is always working and um, always resonating. So imagine that we're, well, you are in college, but imagine you're in college however many years ago it would have been that you didn't have a laptop, you didn't have a smartphone, there wasn't email, um, you went to your class and your professor told you to do that, so you had to hand write them down, um, you had to turn in a paper, you had to go to your professor's office during office hours and turn it in, um, you, you had to work on your assignments in the library because you don't you didn't have a computer, laptop sort of thing, you can't just look to go computer around all the time, um, and, that, and, and this is like stressing me out thinking about it, um, but imagine we lived in a time like that where work and rest had to go on an actual schedule because the library is not open 24-7, so you had to go and work on your assignments when it was open, and then you had to go home and turn off, but that's not the case anymore. We get emails on our phone. I go to watch a movie, and I get an email from someone that I work with about something to do with work. And so then I'm sitting here trying to watch a movie and I'm thinking about work. Um, and then along with that, um, especially on college campuses, especially bigger college campuses, um, you're always looking to how to get ahead. Because you look around and everyone's really intelligent, everyone is really involved, and so you work more, you do more clubs, you hold more positions, more internships, more jobs, more duties. We have this kind of work around the clock type of lifestyle, especially in college, day to night is really blurred. You have a big test, well, you don't need sleep, you can just stay up all night and work on your test and then go to sleep. This is what I did for this talk, actually. Uh, but, uh, and then, so when I asked some of you all what you were most excited for <coughs> over break, it was sleep. Like, sleep should be a natural occurrence. Um, and it's just not. And, and then our assignments are just kind of a checkpoint. Um, you do this assignment to get a certain grade. Um, you want this grade to get a degree. You want this degree to get into another program. This program will get you your job, an entry-level job. Then you want this entry-level job to get another job. Um, and so along with this, um, when was the last time that you did a project in school or you wrote a paper and you enjoyed it? When was the last time that you were excited about something that you were learning in school? Um, when was the last time that you took a Sabbath? Um, it's a command, it's not really an ask. Um, when, and then what, like what's your motivations even for what you're doing? Is it money, is it success? Um, what are these things? So that's number two, always working. Um, and then 
Thirdly, um, and this one is like really heartbreaking for me, and I see it so much. Um, we're always trying to escape. Um, and so this is where the hookup culture, the party culture, um, has been introduced. Um, and it has really cultivated a culture of addiction and binging and using each other. Um, Danielle Salad on, um, she got a talk for the Gospel Coalition, and she kind of coins it like this. She says, hooking up is dating without courtship or expectations of a future relationship. I use you and you use me for mutual pleasure, and alcohol is more often than not the lubricant that makes things go. And so our, our culture has glamorized this um, with the rise of the feminism movement, um, with popular TV shows that I, I mean I love, Friends, New Girl, they, this is all that it's about. Um, with movies such as Friends with Benefits or No Strings Attached, and now it can be so simple as to just download an app. And you can meet people and hook up with them and do this mutual exchange. Um, and, and I'm not going to go into detail about what the Bible says about this. There's a seminar for that too. Um, but what makes me so sad about this, um, other than just the misuse of our body and the damage that that does to our soul, is that it has shattered male-female friendships. There's also a seminar on this, and I would encourage all y'all to go. Um, but we have lost the value of male and female friendships, um, and our culture has twisted it into something that it's not. Um, and we need these. We need these in our faith. We need these in the church. And so some questions that I have on this is how do you view relationships and how do you view the opposite sex? Um, how does your view of sex align with scripture? Also, how does your view of, where do you, where do you run to for rest? So when you are finished, do you have the kind of work hard, play hard mentality of, all right, now it's Friday, I'm going to go binge on alcohol, or I'm going to go binge on Netflix. These things are not healthy. Netflix in itself is not sinful, we know this, but it can be sinful when you sit and watch an entire season in a weekend. That's just not healthy. Um, and so, yeah, let's look at our habits of rest and work. Um, fifth um, is that we're always worshiping. Um, we know this, we were made to worship, we're always worshiping something, and one of the biggest things that I see on campus today is um, kind of this new religion. Um, that is moralistic therapeutic deism. No, people are not saying, yes, I'm a moralistic therapeutic deist. Um, but this is really insidious and it's really big in our culture. And so I'm just going to read through these really quickly, but I want you to ask yourself if this is actually you. Um, and I hope that it's not. But um, a God does exist who created the world and watches over life on earth. This God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by other world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God is not involved in my life or anyone's life except what he is needed to solve a big problem, except when he is needed to solve the problem. Good people go to heaven when they die. Um, and that's just isn't true. Um, and so Christian Smith, who in 2005, he kind of did a study and labeled this what it is. He says, hardly any teen spoke directly about more difficult religious subjects like repentance, 
love of neighbor, social justice, self-discipline, humility, dying to self, the sovereignty of God, glorifying God and suffering. I want to ask you, what do you think about some of those things? Do you have you thought about them? Have you wrestled with God on some of these things? Um, many people approach faith with how it can help them or what they can get out of it. Um, in simple terms, religion is a tool for people to use to get what they want, determined by their own individual feelings and desires. So it is no longer I submit to God, it is God submits to me what I want. Um, and so I want to ask you, um, do you look to God for him to serve you and cater to your personal happiness? Um, how does your view of God align with scripture's view of God? And then how does your view of God kind of align with this? Because if it's this, then that's not the real God. It's not the real Jesus. Um, oh, quickly, I want to talk about a new thing on social media that is called curated perfection. Curated imperfection. Um, it's really, really big. You see it everywhere. Um, it's where our what we project becomes our reality. So. Um, and, and Dia talked about this today. Um, you're studying, but you want to like post a quick picture, so you like make sure your hair's in like a cute messy bun. You got your dog, you got your textbook, and you got your coffee mug, and you take twenty some pictures, but you post one. Um, people don't see all those pictures that you took. They just see the one that's filtered, that's good. Um, but this this Instagram influencing society. Um, has been really shaking and what we believe. It's really big. There's, I'm not going to mention her name. She's like wrote a very popular book that is pretty much the anti-gospel um, in a sense. It's all about how you can clean yourself up. You can wash your own face and make and make yourself righteous. And that's, that's just not how it is. I've heard this. You can only be made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Um, and so questions with this is how do you use your social media? Um, are you trying to project the false reality of yourself? Are you buying into the false reality of others? Um, how much screen time does your phone say that you spend? And then how does that kind of match up to how much time you're being shaped by talk? Um, how much time you're spending in the world? Um, and so this has kind of been a lot. Um, I hope that it wasn't like an overwhelming amount. Like I said, these are ways, these are just kind of like things that have shown up in our society. Um, and so kind of to hone it back in, I um, want to take you back to 1 Corinthians 6.19 and say that the best news that we can hear from this is that you are not your own. VA has talked about that so much today. You're not your own. Um, you're not your master. School is not your master. Relationships are not your master. Friendships are not your master. Religion is not your master. Um, Jesus is not your master. Um, he's a good master. And then with that, you are bought with a price. So you don't have to make your worth. You do not have to spend all this time creating the perfect worth on Instagram or with your friends, with your resume, whatever your worth has been given to you that God sent his only son to die for you. He said, I want you so much, I will let Jesus die for you. He was happy to do that. Jesus was happy to do that so that he could have you. Um, and so now,
freely walk with him. We can look at these roots, expose them, um, and repent in turn. And so just some helpful application. I've given you a lot of application questions, but a little more simple application questions is which root do you see most in your life? So we've talked about freedom, identity, and purpose. Um, which root are you seeing? Um, and then which root do you see most in your life? Um, you however many I did. Um, and so think about this. Um, use the things that you're learning at this conference to um, figure out how to identify the roots, identify the fruit, and repent. And then if you're having trouble, just ask one of your friends, ask one of your mentors. Hey, what are you seeing in my life, and how can I better walk with Jesus? Um, how can I um, be free from this? And so we'll be around um, if you have questions. Nope. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm gonna pray for us, and then we'll be free to go. Lord, we thank you that you are God, that you are in control, that you are not surprised by um, these roots and fruits that are showing up in our society, Lord. You're not surprised with um, what people are posting or searching, um, with the anxiety that is popping up, Lord. You are in control. Um, and God, we look to you, we trust you. Um, Father, I pray that you would use what we've learned in here to help us more freely walk with you, Lord, that you would um, just really imprint on our lives that we're not our own, um, and that you bought us with Christ, and that you would help us glorify you in our bodies. Um, Father, we love you. We're so thankful for Jesus, and I pray that you would bless the rest of the conference. We pray this in Jesus' Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.